The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, hello, party partners. Welcome to radio's finest hour of power, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, a program of positive book talk with authors and experts that always help you excel in life while experiencing the beauty. My name is Cynthia Bryan. I'm always thrilled to be your personal growth success coach right here on the airways with you every single week since 1998. So get ready to pump your energy, love, learn, laugh, listen, and live your dreams through books and media. We are a show about following your heart, doing what you love, bubbling with enthusiasm, inspiration, motivation, and information, and of course, tools for daily living. It is champagne for your spirit. The Miracle Moment for today is by Mark Twain. The human race has unquestionably one really effective weapon, laughter, and I couldn't agree more. Well, we have an international show for you today, starting off with Nora Norden from Norway, who will be talking about her contribution to Be the Star You Are for Teens, which is the gift of understanding, and also about what it's like being in Norway and being with the education system there. Segment two brings us Zen-vesting guru Paul Sutherland with his very zenful philosophy on investments with his book, The Virtue of Wealth. And in our final segment, we're going to go to the oceans with publisher and Marineland Wright Whale Project Assistant Frank Gromling. He spots, he tracks, he documents, and he photographs endangered North Atlantic right whales during their winter birthing migration. So grab your cup of tea, turn up the volume, and listen and be the star you are. Well, my first guest is Nora Norden, and I could talk to her for hours, days, weeks, months, and years. And in fact, we actually have been doing that since we were about eight years old and were met through letter writing. She on one side of the pond and me on the other, Nora growing up in Ireland, me in California, and we have been writing for all these years. Now it's mostly email. Nora divides her time between Dublin, (laughs) Ireland, where she was born, and Oslo, Norway, where she now lives. She is the Director of Studies at Trider, which is Norway's oldest private independent college of commerce. She lovingly penned a chapter in the new book, Be the Star You Are for Teens. It's called The Gift of Understanding. She's with us today, all the way from Oslo, Norway. Welcome, my dear, dear friend, Nora Daly Norden. Hello, Cynthia. Nice How to talk to you. How are you? It's so great to have you on the airwaves. 
It's so nice to be talking to America at midnight Norwegian time. So it's the middle of your day. I'm sure well, it's bright and sunny. Well, college is back in session, and you have just begun anew, Nora. What's it like to be the director of studies there, and what's, what's, how, is it, how is it going for you? What is the first few weeks like? Well, the first few weeks are always very hectic, getting all the students in and giving them all the information they need and making sure they end up in the right classes and making sure they have the books they need and sorting out the problems of the study loans and the money for the books and all that sort of thing. And then uh, it's great when the first sort of week of lectures starts and we know we've got them all in place and everything has um, come out in the right order as it should have. We had a bit of a hiatus this year, though, because one of our teachers suddenly got very, very ill and she had the biggest teaching load of all, and we had to find a new teacher substitute for her. How do you do that, Nora? I mean, when it's sort of last minute, and they have a big load, and this happens. Fortunately, um, there's such a thing as word of mouth, and we do have a bank of colleagues or people who have taken contact with us to know if there were any teaching jobs there, and um, we had one such person on hand, and we were able to call him, and he was available and willing to come and take it on. So he has now started, and hopefully he will be very successful for the rest of the term. And how do the students react when they have a, have a professor or a teacher that is replaced? I mean, are they looking forward to the one they signed up for, or is that not of importance? That isn't of importance because they don't know until they actually start with us who their lecturer is going to be. Ah, I see. So I see. We, so it's more about the studies then. Yes, so luckily we hadn't started teaching, so there was no need to send in a substitute. They got a new teacher. Right, from the, from the get-go. What is the specialty there at your College of Commerce? Well, we are originally started as a College of Commerce over 125 years ago, teaching um, bookkeeping, typing, commercial correspondence, that kind of thing. But we have branched out now, and we're in the third-level sector, so we're on a parallel with the universities and the university colleges but we're in the vocational sector, so we teach um, people who are going to go and work in uh, office administration, in travel and tourism, in bookkeeping, in retail management, uh, marketing, things like that. So we give them a one-year concentrated course, which then gives them a certificate and enables them to go out into the work market with a qualification. So it's really practical knowledge that can be used within a year. I mean, it's a really good way to get going. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's for people who want to get out and work, but who don't want to do the three-year bachelor or the five-year master degree route at a university. They want to sort of just get a qualification and get out and work. The practical kind of people that the world needs in order to make the wheels go round. Absolutely. And, you know, we find that so much here in California, or, or maybe it's across the world, but here in the area where we are, we're so academics-oriented that... Everybody has to be a top student, you know, reading, mm-hmm. writing, arithmetic. And if, you, if you're outside of the box, you get left behind. And what's exactly. so interesting is it's those people, the ones that you're teaching, the ones that go on to the trade colleges and they, they get a trade, that's what keeps us going. And they can become very, very successful. Exactly. And I know so yeah. many college, you know, university graduates that have the, their business degree or whatever their degree is in, you know, uh, English or history, and they don't have jobs. They're, no, exactly. they're working at they're McDonald's. Not, they're not employable when they go out in the end, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, speaking of employment, you are married to an economist, Pear, a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is he looking at, you know, with the outlook and the financial situation and the economy of the world right now? What's the, what is the dinner table conversation like? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's way above my head when we get to topics like that. Well, but, I mean, um, you, Norway isn't doing so badly in this world recession because we had a bad bout in, in the 1980s when some of the banks went right. under and the government stepped in and put in um, very strong restrictions on that kind of thing so that Norway has managed to get through this crisis a bit better than the rest of the world. So Norway isn't feeling it as much as other countries are, or like the United States is feeling it now. No, or they're not. No, the parts depressed. of Norway that are feeling it, I understand, are the export industries, the ones that export things, for example, to the car industry in Germany. Yeah. There the demand has fallen a little bit. Or the manufacturers of top-of-the-line furniture, there the demand has fallen a little bit. But according to what I read in the papers recently, the demand is coming up again. So um, Norway is quite optimistic. Well, see, good for Norway. I mean, you did the right thing. Well, let's well, talk about your contribution to the book, because I am so thrilled about this. As I said at the beginning of the hour, you and I have been basically lifelong friends. I mean, from the time we were little girls and we were set up by the Holy Faith sisters <laughs> uh, of, to write to each other, and we finally met in person when we were 18. We were scared to death that we wouldn't like each other, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> After all these years of Dear Diary, and what turned out is we feel like we're sisters, just on living on different continents. And I I was so thrilled. In my first book, Be the Star You Are, I wrote a whole chapter about Nora called The Gift of Friendship. If you've read it, this is who we're speaking to right now, Nora Norden. And so in this new book, Be the Star You Are for Teens, you so graciously wrote a chapter called The Gift of Understanding. And... I loved the chapter. I laughed at the chapter, and I thought, oh, my gosh, how true. Would you tell us about it? And when you were choosing what to write, what, what was your impetus? Because I know you wanted to be effective for teens. Well, I just remembered myself what it was like being a teenager and feeling that I was totally misunderstood and the world was against me and I couldn't understand why. And it was only in hindsight as I matured that I realized why. And then I thought, well, maybe I should pass that on to other teenagers so that they realize that, you know, there will be an end to all this and you will come out as a nice, normal, happy person at the end of it all. But it's maybe important to understand why it's going on. And I suppose I wrote it more for girls than for boys because boys maybe don't have the same amount of raging hormones as females do. Uh, or maybe boys do have it, but to a, a different degree. Well, you raise, you have the two, you have two boys, and yours didn't have your, I mean, they didn't go through what you went through. No, they didn't, actually. There was never a slammed door or a raised voice or anything like that, so I was just totally amazed. Well, it was really funny uh, when I read it, and we're talking about the gift of understanding, and the author of it is Nora Catherine Norden, and basically what she says in the book is how, she didn't, I mean, it was the women in the house and everybody had hormones going and, <laughs> and no one, it just, you felt so misunderstood and you were angry, et cetera. So you started writing about it and I you did, kept every yeah. note, right? Tell us about that part of it because I'm a big proponent. I, we obviously both of us love to write, but I've, I'm always a big proponent on telling people to write in journals because I really think it helps us get a grasp of who we are and where we're going and it helps us sort things out. And you saved everything. I did. I still have all those diaries from uh, way back when in a big green suitcase upstairs. And uh, I pull them out now and again, and I read, and I think, wow, I used to be this person. My goodness. (laughs) And don't you think that's a really great thing to do, though, is to pull them out? And when you read that, because we do forget how we were. We do. 
I mean, a couple of years ago, I had the great opportunity to go back to Ireland to speak at a uh, celebration for my very good friend, Father Patrick McGrath. And Nora flew over to be with me, and we went together to Temple Spa. We had a fabulous time, and we were like two little girls having a slumber party, weren't we, Nora? We were and indeed. You we had brought diaries and the letters that we had written to each other and showed oh, them to each other. and It was so fun. Nora brought all these letters and diaries, and we stayed up all night long reading and laughing at our oh, uh, just the things we wrote yeah. to each other. So in these ones that you wrote that you talk about in The Gift of Understanding, just share with our listeners a couple of the things that how you thought that they, these journals were going to be so helpful to you as a mother. <laughs> well, I thought if I didn't write it down, by the time I got to be a mature woman or in my 20s or whatever, I would have forgotten what it was like to be this way and to not know from one end of the day to the other how your mood was going to be and to, you know, run off at your mouth and be rude and mean to the people who really loved you most and wanted the best for you. But it was something you just couldn't control. And um, I just felt that I had to really remember this because someday I was going to be a mother myself and if my kids started doing the same thing to me, I would be able to say, aha, I remember that somewhere. Now let me see. <laughs> and I would pull out the diary and I would say, oh, yes, exactly. And be able to tell them or at least astound them with my understanding of what was going on with them, you know, and my superior wisdom. But as it turned out, thankfully, I didn't need them, and maybe it would have been very embarrassing, I suppose, if I had revealed to my children what a terrible teenager I was. Have you thought about that one day you may be a grandmother, and maybe you'll be able to read these to your grandchildren? Well, no, actually, I haven't thought about that, but... Perhaps, yes. I mean, that might, it, because sometimes they say that, you know, the terrors skip a generation. Oh dear, oh because dear, you know oh how dear. parents are always saying to their kids is that, oh, you'll get payback time one of these days. There'll be payback time. And then you have these wonderful boys that gave you no problem and were just very easy to get along with. And now, do you think any of it is environmental I, as far as behavior? You had two as opposed to growing up in a family of nine? I don't think so. I mean, in my family, we were nine of us, but we were all very different personalities. And my sisters sailed through puberty with no problems, but maybe perhaps I had paved the way for them. Yeah, that, they my did. They saw, they, saw, they saw you and they said, okay, we're going to do, do it a different way. Is yeah, that it? Or my mother maybe knew what was coming and was able to sort of step in and avert it or something. Well, I have to say, for your, I never saw that side of you. And so I never saw you getting raging crazy. You were always so fun and, and wild and just this incredible person that I love so dearly. Uh, but you met me after I had come through the worst of it, you know. I mean, the first time we met face-to-face, -face, we were, after all, 18. That's right. That's, that yeah. is true. That's right. I missed, I missed seeing that personal stuff at 13 to 14 to 15, right? Well, it's probably just as well because you mightn't have liked me if you were not Yeah, we may not still be friends today. <laughs> that may be. Although, you know what? I didn't write about how I behaved at those ages. I started, I actually started writing, my, my real writing was to you. So you really were my dear diary. Uh -huh. And so you actually can tell the stories to people, but you better not. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started writing journals after we met that time in Belgium at 18 because you were doing it and we were so, you were enjoying it so much. And I thought, hey, that's a great idea. So you right. see, 
You are sort of my inspiration for becoming an author. Really? Oh, I'm flattered. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm flattered. I'm flattered to know you. Well, the, the chapter that Nora has written is called The Gift of Understanding. It's in the new book, Be the Star You Are, that has just debuted. You can get copies if you go to bethestaryouare.com. And all the money benefits be the Star You Are charity, which is a literacy charity to empower women, families, and youth. And, of course, we know that this is a book for teens, about teens, and with teens, so we really want to help teens get through that time. And maybe you'll all write a story just like Nora did. Nora, is there any website you want to give out for the university or anything? Or should we just send people to be the com to find out more about you? I think so, because our website is only in Norwegian, so anyone who speaks Norwegian is welcome to look us up, but I don't think it would be of much benefit for anybody well, else. Can you, you know, why don't you um, say farewell to us in Norwegian? Haven't heard it in a long time. Okay. Are we far med å snakke nå? Well, i så fall vil jeg bare si ha det bra. Det var veldig hyggelig å snakke med deg, og jeg håper det ikke blir så lenge til vi snakkes igen. Oh, my gosh, you are such a linguist. I love it. I learned my languages from you. Thank you, Nora, for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're looking forward to having other people read your chapter in the book, The Gift of Understanding, and thank you for your wisdom. And hello to the family uh, from me, from the California adopted daughter. This has been Cynthia Bryan, and we've been talking with Nora Daly-Norden. When we return from break, Zen Vesting Master Paul Sutherland will join us with his philosophical and practical insights on investing with his book, The Virtue of Wealth. Stay with me. I am Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a bit. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Did you know that teens with low self-esteem who feel they don't fit in are more vulnerable to peer pressure, more likely to have depressive reactions, eating disorders, higher rates of alcohol and drug abuse, criminal involvement, suicide attempts, and be involved with risky behaviors? You can help make a difference by sponsoring this radio program, Be The Star You Are. Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, positive media, and donates positive books to increase literacy. Call 877-944-STAR, S-T-A-R. For more information or visit our website at bethestarur.org. Also, you can make a PayPal donation at www.bethestarur.org. Thank you for helping our youth succeed. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk.
You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the star you are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are dot org. Now, back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, I sure appreciate you staying with me here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where every week we bring you the authors and the experts who inspire you and change your life one page at a time. I am your personal growth coach, Cynthia Bryan. There are lots of financial books on the market. Lots of advice on how to handle your money, what to do, what not to do. And then there's the new book by Paul Sutherland, The Virtue of Wealth. Not in, in his book, not only does he give you all the important information that we all need to be healthy and wealthy, but he advises us not just from a monetary standpoint, but from a body, mind, and spirit approach. He calls it Creating Life Success, the Zenvesting Way. Welcome, Paul, to Be the Star You Are. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm, uh, it was fun listening to the show before, and I'm excited to be interviewed. Uh, well, Paul, I, I've said this. I've been emailing you. I've said this to you before. This is such a wonderful book. I love this book. I love the way you wrote it, produced it, published it, printed it. The Virtue of Wealth oozes with integrity, with knowledge, and most of all, mindfulness. Your premise is that financial success is just one way of ensuring our ability to enjoy relationships, and you really um, believe in ethical investing. Would you tell us a a little bit about what do you mean by ethical investing? Basically, it means that you think about sustainability and and the impact that your investments have. I mean, if if somebody found out that the mutual fund that they were investing in or the investment portfolio they had was... um, Manufacturing, you know, scatter bombs. I think that you would probably be pretty upset about that, or that you found out that the company was um, promoting cigarettes to children in, in developing countries. And so, ethical investment can start there, where you just sort of want to avoid certain things. And then the other area is, you know, to invest in things that you think are going to be good and positive for the future. So companies that maybe we're going to um, research the next cure for cancer, or the companies that are going to um, help solve our energy problems or people that, uh, you know, in research labs that are trying to solve some of the ills of the world. So, and this is what you, this is really a priority for you. First of all, in the book, The Virtue of Wealth, Creating Life Success, The Zenvesting Way, the book is, has beautiful illustrations. It's filled with heartwarming and poignant quotations and uh, good, really solid stories. And then the advice. I just love it because I can feel that it's so from your heart, and it's not just because you want to make money as you know as someone who manages money. you want to help people really live a full, satisfied life. One of your chapters is called "No Better Place Than Home," and it it hit me so much because you said how home is where the kitchen table is, and it doesn't matter whether it's a trailer or a condo or a clapboard house or a mansion and so many people look at their home as this investment instead of really realizing this is the place where we nourish our families and the people we love. Your approach is different. Yeah, I mean, you have, 
you know, and then you're, there's also a lot of you overspend on a home, and it causes anxiety. So who wants to go into a home where um, the parents are arguing over um, finances because their home mortgage is so great? So wouldn't it be nicer to just have a small home where you can not be arguing about finance or worrying about finance, where you can spend time with each other and, and enjoy it? And um, my wife and I have traveled a lot, and, you know, I told a couple of stories in there. One was about Kuldi in, in India. That was our tut-tut driver while we were there, and he you know, wanted to honor us by taking his to, taking us to his house. And we walked down this street that was raw sewage, you know, on the as we walked by and um, into his house. And there were basically about seven people living in probably ten by twenty foot square area, open to the to the city. And they served us tea, and it was just wonderful. And he was proud of his house, and there was love in that house. And you know, really put me into it put it into perspective. And you know, and then I also you know I work with some very wealthy people and have very giant houses, and there's love in their houses too. So there's no judgment in that. But we need to find what's right for us, and that, and we want to make sure that we're concentrating on: is this house meeting my needs, and am I going to really be able to spend time with the family and the people that I love, or is this house going to own me? Is, is probably a um, good way to put it. Yeah, and it's so. This is so crucial, and I loved that story. When I mean, it brought tears to my eyes when I read that because. The idea that this family in India really felt pride in their home and the fact that they wanted to share it with you. And to anyone, you know, from a, this Western country, they would look at it and think it would be a hovel. But, but yeah. what you write about is that's not what homes are about. That's not what it's all about. It's about the relationship. We're talking to Paul Sutherland. He is the author of The Virtue of Wealth. Creating Life Success the Zenvesting Way, and his website is zenvesting.com or paulhsutherland.com. But what um, I also wanted to get to is the fact that you talk a lot or you mention it throughout the book that when we have an advisor for our investments, that we really need to look at who these people are and go with fee-based advisors and I was speaking to a, a large uh, group today, and I talked about your book because I'm so impressed by it. And it was very interesting how the, everyone agreed that this is really the way to go because many financial people make their money from selling products as opposed to what's best for their client. Yeah, and, and, and can you imagine if you went to your physician and the only way he was going to be compensated was if he sold you drugs or medical devices, you know, instead of saying, go home, do yoga, um, eat healthy, and, um, you know, come back in a few weeks, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, so in financial planning, you want somebody that's going to say, hey, let's, let me tell you how you can really use your 401K at work really well, how you can use your employee benefits well at work, how you can, um, and then you want them to use products that don't have high commissions or have, are, are designed for people that have, have very, very low fees and expenses. And most investors and most people don't have time to understand what's a good deal or a bad deal. And so um, the, the fee-only advisor that can only get a fee that you pay him but can get no commissions um, is bound to only advise what he thinks is best for you and because he's not allowed or she's not allowed to get any commissions. And it's important that you distinguish that there's fee-only. There are fee-based advisors. People will say that, but they can still get commissions. You want an advisor that cannot get any commissions, any kickback, any referral fee. He, the only compensation he gets is from the client um, paying him. And usually fee-only advisors 
are way less expensive than the commission or the fee-based people. And you're getting what? And, and you're getting something that's custom made for you. Now you have worked in the investment and financial advisory business since 1975, so this is something that you're not speaking lightly about. You really know this business inside and out as a senior portfolio manager. You know, yeah. managing global total return investment portfolios. And what I see about you, what I feel about you, is how much you care about your clients. And you care, as I said at the beginning of the segment, you care about their body, mind, and soul. You want them to have a full, complete life and not just looking at how much money can we make. Yeah, being, you know, being financially rich is easy. You, you know, you live in mom's basement, you get a good job, you save everything, you never go on a date, you never spend any money. If you want to go out, you go mooch off your friend's TV, um, and, and you just save everything. And, you know, but that's not a life. And so, uh, most of us want to have some balance there. And so, um, the book says, first, what do you want your life to look like? And most of us, when, you know, when we were talking about the, um, Delhi, when, when Amy and I were in Delhi, and when I got on the phone on the plane home, I said, "What was your favorite part of, of our India trip?" And she said, "Having tea at Colby's house." That, and that was and what was that all about? We saw the Taj Mahal, we saw all the sights, but what was moving for her was that simple hour that we had in relationship with um, Colby, his wife, grandmother, and um, and kids. And well, and this is again getting back to um, the book, the virtue of wealth, creating life success, the Zen vesting way. It really everything is about the relationships and about that the pride that we have when we care and we connect with other people. Now, in your book, you have you have w- a wonderful worksheets that people can do. You have yeah. what's called a gentle budgeting sheet, so that yeah. people can learn how to budget in a a very practical way. And something that's going to really work for them, whether or not, you know, it's not like, call, it's not deprivation in any right. way. And, uh, and another thing, one that I thought is very important was your chapter on, it's called Ensuring Your Happiness and the Importance of Certain Kinds of Insurance. Could we talk about what we need to do as far as ensuring that we're going to uh, be all right in our retirement in our later years? Because people are living so much longer, and it's not a fact that, we're going to retire and just need a few thousand dollars, we are, we're going to probably need more. And you give us a way of how to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, naturally the first rule is that if you save nothing, you're going to have nothing at retirement. So the first goal is to, you know, make sure that you're saving. And what's nice is that, you know, in America especially, we've made it really easy to save for retirement. We have IRAs and we have 401Ks and we have 403Bs that you qualify for because you're, um, you have a nonprofit. And they're, so the government makes it very easy for us to, um, to save with, with, with the tax laws. And so there really are no excuses from, from that point of view that, that people can't say, well, what should I do? That most employees have the access to a, um, you know, 401k or retirement plan at work, or they can do their own plans, the individual retirement accounts. And so the key, the first key is to, is to start saving. And usually, in order, a lot of people say, well, I'm, all, I'm broke. How am I ever going to start saving? And so that's why you sort of have to go through that, uh, you know, general budgeting process to say, okay, now where can I, um, I save? Because if I do this action, then I can't do that action. If I spend money on, you know, coffee every day, then maybe that means I can save less money. But if somebody says, well, gosh, if I drink um, coffee every other day that I pay for at Starbucks and, and save that, I'm going to have $150,000 at retirement. They may say, 
Well, I think that's a good trade-off, and they'll um, drink the coffee at work. You know, isn't it um, interesting, and uh, this, and you point this out, again, we're talking with Paul Sutherland, the book is The Virtue of Wealth. It's very interesting how it's the little things that add up. It's like your story of, you know, the pebbles, the the rocks and the coffee, pouring the coffee in the, into the jar so that you always have time for coffee with friends. But the whole idea is that small things do add up. Yeah, the um, you know in in, in Taoism, you know they talk about the life of a thousand uh, little things, you know, and and so life is a lot of little things, and and we want uh, we're sort of wired to always want to have you know this uh, this one big thing, or we want to oversimplify things and say well, if I just do this, everything is going to be fine. But no, it's a lot of little things that we do each day, and so it's being you know, and that's why I stress the you know the the mindfulness of being mindful of everything that you do that you were. Um, when we buy that, make that purchase, we're trading time, you know, time, our own work time um, for money, and then we're taking that money to buy something, and that if we're um, spending money to just be conscious of it, not in a way that thou shalt not, but just in a way that says, okay, you know what, if I had to retire at 65 um, years old instead of 64 years old because I had have a latte every day, that's fine, but, you know, people just need to own that. Well, and you talk about estate planning, and you actually give formulas so that people can figure out how much money they are going to need at what point in their life. And it's very important that people take the time to sit down as a family or as a couple and work these numbers out. Now, one of the things that I love that you did, because we work with kids and children and teens a lot, is teaching your own children about money, and you advocate teaching children you know, how to learn more about the relationship between time and money and do kids need an allowance. And I agree with you. I don't think that kids should be paid for just being part of a household. I think that, you know, they need to learn to make their beds and clean their own rooms and set the table and those kinds of things. Extra things they do can be paid for, but not being part of a family. I think it sets them up for you know, for being entitled, feeling entitled down the line. And and, and transactional. And, and you don't want that. I mean, relationships are about giving. And so if everybody, if you're only giving so that you get, then that, that can really create a lot of unhappiness when somebody gets old. Yeah, because you know, they're always keeping score, right? I mean, they're always keeping score, saying, all right, well, I did this, and that was worth 25 cents. And I did this, and... And it's yeah. not, hey, gosh, I did that because, you know, you drove the carpool today or whatever. So it's really, but it's important to teach children young. One of the things that hit struck me in one of your stories is how you always take your kids to meetings. When you were buying houses, they would come to the escrow meetings. They would come to the final closings. And you would ask a realtor to give a contract to your kids to sign. So they felt ownership. They felt accountability. They felt part of it. That, I had never heard of that. I thought it was a fantastic idea. Yeah, you know, they make it to feel comfortable in conference rooms. I mean, I, I almost sometimes feel like I live in conference rooms. And so, you know, that's so why I always try to take the kids in the conference rooms. And, you know, they like to spin in the chairs and, you know, sort of take over and eat the chocolates. And, and But that's making them feel comfortable. So when they get older, that'll be a place where they're not intimidated. The first time I took them, though, they were pretty young. And um, the house was two ninety eight, so two hundred ninety eight, two hundred ninety eight thousand dollars And they each brought a dollar. Oh, good. And so when isn't they that, isn't that house, fantastic? Because they felt that their dollar contributed to buying well, that house. Dollar, well, the dollar. Well, they thought they said two dollars and ninety eight cents is what they heard. So when they each gave their dollar, they they said, 
Well, Daddy, we own more of the house than you do. Oh, my God. That is the greatest. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's, Paul, let's give out your website. This is a book I highly recommend. It's called The Virtue of Wealth, Creating Life Success, The Zen Vesting Way. The author is Paul Sutherland. His website, paulsutherland.com or zenvesting.com. And he is as a financial advisor on a fee-based system. And as you can tell just from not only what he's saying, but you'll read in his book, he really does it from a whole relationship experience. And, and it's very, it is very mindful. It's very soulful. And this is what I like about it. And you really care about the investments that you put your people in because yeah. you want it to be, to take care of our earth. I mean, you want it to make sure that our earth is going to survive so the people in it and the people you love will be here. Yes, exactly. And I'm trying to make, I'm trying to write the book so that if somebody wants to do it themselves, they feel powerful enough to do it themselves so that they can use the book as a guide and you know, get their own insurance right, get their investments right, so they can do it to, to give them the tools so that they can feel powerful about doing it themselves. Or if they want to use an advisor, they know how to talk to the advisor in a wise and, and intelligent way. Well, Paul, you have achieved your goal. You are wonderful. This book is just brilliant, brilliant, and it needs to be on everyone's bookshelf. So thank you so much, Paul Sutherland, for being a guest on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the book, The Virtue of Wealth, Creating Life Success, The Zen Vesting Way, zenvesting.com. Paul, it's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, and, and blessings to everybody that's listening. And thank you for being a supporter of Be The Star You Are charity. We appreciate it so much. We're going to see when we come back from break, you're going to meet Frank Gromling. He's not only an author, a publisher, and a radio personality, but he cares about the ocean as well and has some exciting news. Back in a bit, I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be The Star You Are. Please don't go away. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Bethestarur.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk.
You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, you are all stars. Thank you so much for staying tuned to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan, and every week we sparkle and shine. And it is my pleasure to bring you the greatest authors and the most incredible experts to help you plant the seeds of greatness within Well, oceans, seas, lakes, bodies of water of any kind have always been my place of rejuvenation. And I met our next illustrious guest, Frank Gromling, through my association with the Independent Book Publishers Association. Not only is he an author and a radio personality, he is also the project assistant for the Marineland Right Whale Project, where he trains and supervises over 200 volunteers three months out of every year They spot, they track, they document, and they photograph endangered North Atlantic right whales during their winter birthing migration in the United States. He's also the publisher, very appropriately, of Ocean Publishing, which is about to release an exciting new series. Welcome, Frank, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hello, Cynthia. It's good to be with you. Well, it's always good, and you have been on a trip, and you've got all kinds of exciting news. But let's talk first. You are a dedicated lover of the seas, of the environment, and of the whales. And I'm just so fascinated about your work and involvement with the Marineland Right Whale Project. And, of course, your book that you wrote, Frank's Whales, where you talk about this. Will you just give us a little bit of information about what you do uh, every year with the Marineland Right Whale Project? It's just so fascinating. Well, yes, Cynthia, thank you for that. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, first of all. And secondly, uh, to talk about the Right Whale Project, something that I've lived for the last nine years. We're just entering our tenth season. And this is a project in Florida that actually is involving the North Atlantic right whale and right like right-handed. Um, and uh, and the, these whales got that name from the whalers uh, because these whales were the right whale to hunt and kill, unfortunately, uh, because of their characteristics of being slow-moving and, and uh, a lot of time at the surface and didn't seem to be afraid of whaling vessels. So at any rate, uh, in Florida, in northeast uh, coastal area, there is a project, as you said, every three months, uh, effectively January through March, where a group of dedicated volunteers, uh, which I have the pleasure of being uh, the project assistant, does a tremendous job of tracking or sighting, first of all, tracking and documenting and then getting photographs uh, of these, ar- these animals as they migrate here to our coast where the pregnant females are giving birth to calves, and all of this is right within a 1,000-foot to 2,500-foot distance from our shores. You know, I, I, I don't even know if people are aware of this incredible, incredible migration that happens every year. And this is why what you're doing is so important to bring awareness as, as well as 
protection to the well, whales. You know, you're absolutely right because the reality is is that this species almost was extinct in 1935 when uh, international protections were uh, placed uh, into existence. They uh, had gone from about a 10,000 population to about 100 North Atlantic right whales. Can you imagine? I mean, they, they were almost gone from the planet. That we as human beings had done something so horrendous as to take these amazing creatures. So well, thank goodness it, that this came into existence, what you're doing. Well, you know, and, and what's happened is is that since the protection in 35, uh, the whales had only, when we first started our project in 2001, they had only recovered to about 325 animals at that time. And just as a comparison uh, for, your, uh, for you out there on the West Coast, the Pacific gray whales at the same time had about 400 animals in their stock uh, in 1935, and now they have four, or five, or 6,000. So the difference here is just absolutely stark, and the large part of it is that 50% of the mortalities of the North Atlantic right whale are directly attributable to humans. That is commercial vessel strikes and entanglement in commercial fishing gear. What kinds of things uh, is your group doing or what is being done now to actually protect the whales? And when is it that we as humans are going to understand how closely related we are to these very intelligent species? Well, I can answer the first part. The second part, I just can't answer that because it really takes each one of us just making that decision, Cynthia, that we are going to do something to protect important species. And, uh, you know, whales have been around forever, ever since they, they decided to leave the land and, and enter into the ocean and transform themselves into mammals that live in the sea. Um, but the first part is there, there are some pretty serious things being done now. In 1935, the International Whaling Commission did set standards against whaling of this animal and some others. But uh, more recently, in the last 70 years, most recently the last um, 10 years, the federal government and various state governments that are involved because of their coastal proximity uh, have enacted a variety of things. And the most recent one was here in Florida, for example. Uh, the, uh, the national government established a very strict policy uh, that ships of, of uh, over 65 feet in length, any vessel over 65 feet in length, during the calving season has to follow very uh, strict and specific guidelines that have been established. And so that's a good thing, and that's be, that what they're trying to do is to eliminate one of the largest parts of the mortality, which is uh, the, the vessels actually striking and uh, killing uh, the right whales. So does that actually mean, Frank, that that vessels have to stay in a, a shipping lane? I mean, there's a certain yeah. area they can... They can yes. travel in. Is that how it works? Yes, is oh, that that's so there's important? Speed, there's speed limits. Uh, there are course changes uh, necessitated uh, when there are uh, advisories posted uh, electronically uh, provided to the ship captains, uh, and and then uh, the speed limits of uh, ten knots, eleven point five miles an hour, uh, conditions uh, allowing, and uh, that is uh, in in a very large area here in the northeast Florida and southeast Georgia uh, sector. That same type of uh, uh, legislation also applies up into the New England area where the, where the whales normally are resident. Well, I applaud the East Coast for applying this kind of regimen so that we can protect our whales, which, which is a great segue into the next question I want to talk about is 
You established in 2002 a traditional press called Ocean Publishing. I love your tagline, <laughs> making waves with quality books. Oh, I and love it too. What you've done as a publisher is really very interesting because you have learned to focus and to stay with a niche market as opposed to being a jack-of-all-trades. Tell us about this, Frank, and I know you have some very, very exciting news that we might get to share on the show today. Well, thank you for that. The transition is really, and the segue is really a smooth one, because my first book was one I wrote personally, and it was called Frank's Whales. And, right. and really, it wasn't that, you know, they're not my whales. I'm just taking responsibility for them. And in that little book, um, I realized that, I totally had a passion not only for the ocean, which I've had all my life, uh, and I've lived uh, on and, and, and worked on the ocean uh, all my life. The uh, the reality was that these animals are really so important that humans had to get involved in helping to save the species, which had been projected to be extinct in, in 100 years uh, if nothing had changed. The good news is things are changing. Ocean publishing is a direct result of my passion for the, for the animals, and uh, it, it evolved out of my first little book, and then what's happening now is that I had been a generalist. I did some poetry books, some uh, children's books, some fiction books, and some other nonfiction books in the in the nature area. But you know what? I wasn't all that great at them. I really wasn't all that excited about them. And my mentor told me, follow what you love. Do what you love, and all the rest will come naturally. Isn't and sure that enough, absolute truth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you you te- you teach this. You sh- you share that. Well, that this is my. Your... I, I agree. This is I think why we get on so well too. Is I really believe we have to find our purpose and our passion, and then we, when we go with that, everything starts to fall into place. So now you are really concentrating. Ocean Publishing, just exactly what it says. Yeah, I'm doing nothing more than nonfiction titles in marine life, environment, and conservation. And I have, I have a marine life series that's out, that's coming out. That's something that Ocean Publishing has had underway for some time. And then, additionally, I have a couple other books that are related to the environment on a larger scale. I have a new title that's not quite signed yet. Um, but we're right at that point of going forward, and so I'm going to say that I'm going to have a climate book that is just going to be incredible. Um, it's tentatively called The um, Climate of Uncertainty, and it's a equal-handed look at both sides of the climate change issue. So that's something that's cool. Now, the real good news, though, I was out your way on the West Coast uh, a week ago, and I had my second uh, meeting with Jean-Michel Cousteau Mm-mm-mm. of the famous Cousteau family. Jean-Michel is the older son of Jacques, who we all watched on television back in the day. And Jean-Michel and I have come to a, an agreement whereby he is writing four books that Ocean Publishing will release starting March 1, 2010, in which he will be introducing all Americans and all readers everywhere to what are called the America's Underwater Treasures. That's what Jean-Michel calls them. And in actuality, they are the National Underwater Marine Sanctuaries, which there are 
14 of these locations around our country, along the coast, and one up in the Great Lakes, and then out in the Pacific Islands, all on American uh, property um, that's either contiguous to the coastlines or is out in the Pacific Islands. Well, I want to congratulate you on landing this four-book deal, this contract with so, I mean, what better, what better partner for ocean publishing than to have the Cousteau family doing books for you? We just know they're going to be phenomenal. This has to be such exciting news for your publishing house. Well, it, you know, it really is. It's something that um, I had conceived last November and had been working uh, with uh, Jean-Michel and his very excellent staff out in Santa Barbara. Uh, his organization is called the Ocean Futures Society. And, uh, and in meeting with him in April and then again uh, a week ago, um, I just came away from both meetings with a sense that here's a man that not only has dedicated his life to protecting the oceans. But he has this love for what he's doing, this mm-hmm. passion. He's older than I, and I'm not going to share exactly what how old we are. But Well, you share the similar passion, Frank. We that's do, we and do, age? and that's what happened when we met. Yeah, age realized, has nothing to do with you know, it. Age is just a number. It's, what, it's how we feel, don't you think? Oh, yeah, totally. You know? uh, and totally. so that was the whole idea, is that... You connected on that soul level of your passion for the ocean and the, the, what you want to do to protect the ocean and the environment. Yeah, and, and his uh, slogan or tagline, if you will, like mine is uh, making ways with quality books. Uh, ocean Futures uh, Society's tagline is protect the ocean and you protect yourself. And that's, of course, looking forward. That And he, he works so, Jean-Michel works so diligently with kids especially because he knows that they're the ones who really are going to have a say on whether or not the oceans are going to uh, become healthier. Well, yes, and they are our future. And well, I, I'm really excited about this, and I think it's very. It's a, you are a great publisher when you can get a book out in just a few months like that for and such an important book. And I'm going to change gears one more time sure. because I really want to make sure that we give some promotion to your radio show called <laughs> Cover to Cover, which I had the pleasure of being a guest. Thank you so much. It was just an honor. And on your program, Cover to Cover, you interview authors, publishers distributors, everyone connected to the book industry who can shed light on what's really happening. How are you enjoying being a radio personality and, and being on the air? Well, you know, this is uh, a new career, and uh, and it is a, a very, very fun experience, and I didn't know it was going to be so much fun. But, you know, I've done a lot of public speaking over the years, so this is kind of like public speaking because when I'm on the radio, I actually see people uh, out there on the other end of the electronic airwaves. So that's really fairly easy for me to make that transition. Now, whether I'm any good or not, the audience is building, but the audience is going to have to tell me that uh, uh, eventually. So, But the reality is it's great fun. It is called Cover to Cover. It's Saturdays at uh, 1130 Eastern, and it streams uh, on the Internet. Uh, nationwide or worldwide at WNZF.com. And there's two parts to the program. One is inside the book where I talk about all kinds of things that are book uh, related. Um, there may be something about the, the current uh, 
uh, bestseller list, or there may be something about the news of booksellers or what have you, but then the major portion of the program is book publishing rocks, and that's really where I get into the whole business of book publishing, which I just find terribly, terribly fascinating. I do, too, and I want to tell you, having been on your show, you were good. You're doing a fabulous job. Frank, we're running out of time, just as we know that radio does. Let's give out Ocean Publishing's website, and sure. you heard the, uh, the radio show is WNZF.com. Ocean Publishing, Publishing is Ocean-Publishing.com. And do you have any other website you want to give out? Yes, I do. There's one that's just up today. It's OceanPublishing.org. Oh, when I it. first went uh, set up Ocean Publishing, uh, there's a company in Ireland that grabbed that website, so I couldn't get the .com without the hyphen in the middle. Uh, so I did today just get OceanPublishing.org, and I invite everybody to go to it because it is so brandy new and so interactive. I think everybody's going to have a lot of fun on it. Well, I am excited to go there, Frank. Thank you for being on my show. It is so fun to connect, and, of course, we will do many more things together, and I can't wait for your series with Cousteau. It's going to be just phenomenal. So, again, thank you so much. This was Frank Gromling. He is the author of Frank's Wales. He's the publisher of Ocean Publishing. He's the radio personality of Cover to Cover. And as you know, he wants to save the whales and our environment and the ocean. So thank you so much, Frank, for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Totally my pleasure, Cynthia. And you've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And I want to thank you for being great listeners and for being with me every week as we smile, have fun, and be a little wild and wacky. And until we celebrate again next week, please go out into the world, celebrate every moment, love yourself, and remember, be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and we'll talk next week. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a secret.